Good morning. morning. All right, you guys up and alive and well. It is a good day. It is Sunday, and we are picking up where we left off over the last several weeks. Uh, For those of you that don't know me, I am Pastor Jose, and I am the lead pastor who's having an issue with his mic at the moment. Um, My bad. Uh, And so, yeah, uh, it's a pleasure to have you here. It's a pleasure to just kind of give you some things to consider from the Word of God. And so over the last couple of weeks, we've been on a series entitled Christmas at the Movies. And we've been having some fun. We've been looking at some movies, some uh, Christmas movie classics, and just pulling some themes from them and uh, just, you know, kind of seeing what God's Word has to say about it. Um, and so the first, uh, first week that we started this series, we learned simply that Christ in Christmas is the Christmas story. And the very first thing that God wanted to make clear to all mankind is this, that, hey, I'm with you. I'm with you. God is with us. Now, I don't know if you've ever considered the impact of God in your life. I don't know if you've ever thought about what that means and how that can transform your life and transform your circumstances and give you a new path in life. I know, I know this, that I've been down the wrong road, I've been down the right road, and I've been down every, everything in between. And the one thing that has constantly made sense in life is God. It's God. It's that God has a purpose and a plan for each and every one of us. So we learned that God is with us. And then last week, we learned that we shouldn't be afraid, that because God is with us, that we don't have to be afraid. I don't have time to get into that, but uh, you should definitely check out our website at ctbny.com. Use the app. Check us out on SoundCloud. You know, there's tons of ways. Uh, The podcasts are there. We'll be live streaming, um, hopefully uh, earlier on in the next year. So that'll all be coming down the pipeline. But today we're going to continue building upon the revelation and the meaning of what we've been seeing about Christ in Christmas. And we're going to dig in, uh, but before we do, we're going to look at uh, another movie clip, see if you know which one it is. Let's check it out together. Hello. Looks like a Christmas tree. <gasps> Sorry I can't ride with you the rest of the way up, but this is where my dad works. Well, how do we get to... Oh, I forgot to give you a hug. Oh, I don't know, Connie. I've never declawed kittens before. How many? Eight? I don't know if I'm going to have time. Well, all right. Just bring them by the camper this weekend. I'll see what I can do. I'm not going to charge you. Just bring them by and I'll see what I can do. Excuse me. I'm here to see a Walter Hobbs. I'm Buddy the Elf. <laughs> you look hilarious. Who sent you? Papa Elf. Papa Elf? Mm-hmm. From the North Pole. From the North Pole? Yes. Yeah. Mr. Hobbs? It's me on the intercom. Go ahead. Yeah, I think someone sent you a Christmas gram. All right, uh, let's get it over with. I walked all day and night to find you. Uh, you look like you came from the North Pole. That's exactly where I came from. Santa must have called you. Oh, yeah, sure. He uh, just got off the cell phone with me. He did? So, go on. Go on with what? Well, I, are you going to sing a song or something, or can I just go back to work? A song? 
Uh, yeah. Anything for you, Dad. Um, I, I'm, I'm here with my dad, and we never met, and he wants me to sing him a song. And um, I was adopted, but you didn't know I was born. So I'm here now. I found you, Daddy. And guess what? I love you. I love you. I love you. Well, that was weird. Usually you guys just, uh, you know, put my name at the jingle bells or something. It's me, your son. Susan Wells had me, and, and she didn't tell you. And, 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 but now I'm here. It's me, buddy. Susan Wells. You said Susan Wells? Yes. Who sent this Christmas gram? What's a Christmas gram? I want one. I think we should call security. Good idea. I like to whisper, too. It's okay. Walter's my father. Well, your dad's busy right now. Okay, I'll come back later. Yeah, you know, you're not going to come back for a while, okay? You're going to go back to Sandland. Okay. <laughs> what movie is that? Elf. Wait, you guys weren't excited. You're supposed to love Elf. True story, I just watched Elf in its entirety for the very first time this past week. Wow, you guys are looking at me like I'm some, like some weirdo or something. Sorry, I'm not a movie guy. Um, my family has watched it plenty of times. It's not that I don't sit down and watch it. It's just that I just fall asleep. You know, call it getting old, call it whatever, you know. But um, I watched this movie this past week just to kind of really familiarize myself with it. And just, you know, my, my daughter and my wife were like, oh, my God, it's such a great movie. You got to watch it. And so we rented it on, on Prime and watched it. It was hilarious. In my book, it's like definitely a Christmas classic. Definitely a Christmas classic, but I'll tell you why. Not because of how funny it is. If, look, if you never watched it, take some time with your family to watch it. You will have a blast. Bring out the popcorn and do all that other good stuff. But it's not, in my opinion, because of how funny it is. It's not because it, it's Will Ferrell. This guy is hilarious. It's, it's not because of any of those things. It's not because of what people say and how popular it is. To me, at the core of this movie, I want you to consider what the storyline is. It's about a human being who thinks he's an elf and doesn't know his father and finds out who his father really is and he goes searching for him. And in searching for him, he discovers who he is. Now, that might not mean much to you at face value, but the truth is this, that if you think about it at a deeper level, the story of this man, this human being searching um, with a childlike heart for love from his father and an approach to his father, finding a way to get to his father. It's not just his story. Hey, that's our story. Look, it's a story we can all relate to because each and every one of us in our deepest heart of hearts longs for that kind of relationship between a father and his child. And let me just take that a step further. Once you discover how much God loves you, it's a lifelong journey that we will pursue in understanding how could God love me. And it will change our perspective of who we are and how we approach life. Today I want to talk to you on the subject of becoming sons and daughters. Christ in Christmas tells us a beautiful story. 
It tells us the story of God approaching mankind and introducing himself in the most uncharacteristic, most unexpected way. He becomes just like us so that we could know him and become just like him. I want you to turn with me in your Bibles today as we dive into this discussion into the book of John chapter 14. We're going to read verses 16 through 18. And look, you're, you're pretty intelligent people. You're all very smart. We're all thinkers. We can all rationalize and and kind of put two and two together. But I want you to consider the truth from God's word. And I want you to explore and dig deeper and consider God's heart and his approach towards all mankind. And I want you to see what that does for you and I in this call to be a son, to be a daughter, to discover what it truly means to be a child of God. Is that all right? You ready for this? Go ahead and tell somebody. You ready? Tell somebody else, you ready? Tell somebody else, I'm ready. ready. All right, okay, so here we go. You said you're ready. John 14, verses 16 through 18. I find it so appropriate to start simply considering the words of Jesus. Jesus says this, he says, And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate who will never leave you. He is the Holy Spirit who leads into all truth. The world cannot receive him because it isn't looking for him. And doesn't recognize him. But you know him. Because he lives with you. Now and later will be in you. No, I will not abandon you as orphans. I will come to you. I want you to think about these words here. Jesus literally is addressing his disciples. Now these guys have been with him for a while. And he's towards the end of his earthly journey. He's about to transition into the next phase of his ministry. He's about to die a horrific death and rise again on the behalf of all men to prove to them that not only do we die to sin, but that we rise again anew and that there are promises and there's, we become righteous and all those things. But Jesus is speaking to these guys and they're troubled in John 14. They're troubled. He's telling them, guys, I'm leaving you. He's, he's just the the chapter before that. He said, one of you is going to betray me. You're all going to be scattered like sheep and I'm going to be sent to the slaughter. And so they're troubled. And in the midst of their trouble, he says this to them. He says, I'm not going to leave you alone. And then he goes on to say this. I will not leave you as orphans. Know what he's saying? He's saying, you are not intended to be fatherless. Now, I don't know if you've ever thought about God that way. That God's number one approach to us is not as God the hammer and you the nail. It's not as God with the thunderbolt and you're the target. It's a God who says, I want you to know me first and foremost as father. And I want you to think about this, that in context here, Jesus is talking to Jewish people. And amongst Jewish people, even to this day, the idea that one could actually declare that God is their father is blasphemy. They won't even spell out the name of God. They won't do it. They won't even say the word God. They won't do it. They won't name him. Because in their minds, he's so holy, so far up there, that there is no approach to God. 
And Jesus says something radical here, something completely different. He says, you are not intended to be in this world as an orphan. I will not leave you alone. I'm coming back and I'm going to be in you and with you. You know, the very first thing that we learned a couple of weeks ago is that God is with us. God is with us. Wait, what do you mean? God is with me? You mean to tell me God is with me in the midst of everything I've done? Yes. You mean to tell me that God is with me even though I'm not even conscious of him? Yes. You mean to tell me that God has actually chosen me? Yes. Listen closely to where we're going today. But I want you to begin to get this picture. That God desires that you and I would understand that we are his children. That we are not orphans. And if we could just be completely frank and honest with ourselves, many times we live life as if we're alone. How many times haven't we said to someone, I feel so alone? How how many times haven't we prayed and said, God, I feel alone? And yet, Christ in Christmas reminds us of this. You're never alone. I'm with you. And so, it's interesting, but in verse 17, it says something very uh, powerful that's a key to this story of Christmas as we dig into it, of Christ and Christmas. It says, the world cannot receive him because it isn't looking for him and doesn't recognize him. Doesn't recognize him as what? Doesn't recognize him as a father. You know, you could be walking with God the entirety of your life and be oblivious to the fact that he's there. And what kind of quality of life would that have for us? What would that create for us? So while the movie Elf introduces us to our personal desire for fathers in our own lives, the narrative of Christ and Christmas tells us a similar and yet more powerful story. The story of Christmas, Christ in Christmas, tells us that when we go in search of God the Father, we find him. But watch this. We also discover who we are in the process, what it means to be a son, what it means to be a daughter. And so I want you to turn with me in your Bibles to Luke chapter 2, verses 8 through 20. Starts off by telling us, and there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over the flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. They were terrified. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Somebody say all. All. Remember those words, all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find the baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth peace to those whom his favor rests. And when the angel had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. And so they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. And when they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary, Mary treasured up all these things and pounded them in her heart. 
And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told to them. So I want, I want us to kind of dig into this a little bit because in the last two weeks, going into this third week, what we begin to see is that God announces to several different people what is occurring, the birth of the Savior, the coming of the promised one, the Christ is here. And in all those three instances, we see something, that everyone that heard the message was afraid. And everyone that heard the message received good news. Joseph received the message, and here's what the, what the angel told him. He says, hey, don't be afraid, because the child that she's about to have, it's a work of the Holy Spirit. I'm in the midst of this. When he spoke to Mary, he told her, don't be afraid, because God favors you. God is with us. And these men received this message, but you got to understand something about these guys, why they were afraid. See, Notice that the Bible says that these guys were shepherds. They were ordinary people by society's standards. As a matter of fact, they were substandard according to the society of the day because they were in the middle of an extraordinary story, but in the eyes of everyone around them, it didn't make sense. See, shepherds in those days were considered untrustworthy. They were considered unclean. They were considered to be the low rung on the bottom of the totem pole. They were thought to be lazy and they were despised in their day, all because their lives revolved around sheep, all because their lives revolved around a work that tended to animals even when the law said you weren't supposed to be working. So these people were outcasts. They were shunned. They were set aside. Can you imagine what it would be like to live under the constant ridicule and rejection of society as a whole? Can you imagine growing up that way? I want you to think about this. This is the life that these men knew. Back in those days, your profession, your career, so to speak, you didn't choose it. It was passed on to you. So these guys most likely grew up with shepherds. They grew up understanding this ridicule, this rejection, being told that they were no good, being told that they were dirty, being told that they weren't acceptable to God. And then the angel of the Lord shows up and says to them, hey, talking to me, God, you, yes, you, I've got good news. I'm establishing peace with you and all men. Can you imagine what it is for God to approach you at your loneliest time? Can you imagine what it is to believe that you are no good in God's eyes? That somehow you carry no worth in God's eyes? That somehow you've dropped the ball so much, you've gone so far, you've let yourself and everyone else and God so down? Can you imagine what it is to live that way and then to hear this message? I love you. I've chosen you. I'm calling you. And I remind you that there's nothing that separates you and I. I establish peace with you and all mankind. I want you to know me as father. Even when you've believed all these years that you're fatherless. Now look, 
This is a near and dear and personal topic to me of becoming a son and a daughter because I, for one, have struggled with this over the years. That's been a tough message to accept up until the last couple of years where maybe the last 10 years or so where God has really cemented these truths in my heart because I grew up without a father. I grew up wondering what my father looks like, what he thinks about me. Does he know where I am? Has he sought me? And I can't tell you the impact of that in my life. And yet, this message of God as a father has completely radicalized my own self-esteem, my own self-worth, my own view of who I am and what life is and what I can do. Where I once believed I couldn't, I wouldn't, I can't, and I believed in should'ves, could'ves, would'ves, and I grew up mad at my mother because she left him. He didn't leave her. And I grew up wondering, man, if I had had a father, would I, would I have made as many mistakes as I did growing up? And yet, God reaches out to men, to people, not unlike us. And he says, yeah, you, I got a message for you. I've got good news for you. See, what I love about this encounter that we see in this story of Christmas and Christ in the midst of it is who we see God reaching out to and declaring this powerful message to. Listen, in, we live in a world today that people go to, to all types of environments such as this one and others to quote-unquote hear from God, to quote-unquote somehow learn what it is to be godly or to look godly or act godly. But you know what I love about the story of Christ in Christmas and his birth and what we're seeing here just in these uh, couple of verses that we read? That when God introduces himself, he doesn't say, Get your pens and papers out, pull your Bibles out, and we're going to talk today about justification and sanctification and, and becoming holy and acting right. He didn't do any of that. He brought one message. He didn't give us 10 rules to be holy. He didn't come with all these great and elaborate theological uh, concepts for us to accept somehow that we would be more holier than thou. No, he shows up to people that were rejected and probably had accepted, I'm no good in God's eyes. Me, a child of God? And to those people, he announces, hey, you, there's nothing separating you and I. And so you see, it was at this point when they received this message. Where they received a message different from even the religious people of the day, the church people. Where the church had no room for them. God made room for them. Where they were rejected and cast aside. God brought them near. And told them, you belong to me. And so it was at this point, after receiving this message, that they went in search of our Savior. And they discovered something truly great. I want you to consider scripture. I'm not giving you my opinion here. But I want you to consider what the word says about 
What happened when God sent Jesus to be born as a child? Galatians chapter 4, verses 4 through 7 says this. But when the right time came, go ahead and tell somebody it's the right time. It's the right time. Listen, when the right time came, watch what happened. God sent his son, born of a woman, subject to the law. God sent him to buy freedom for us who were slaves to the law so that he could adopt us as his very own children. And because we are his children, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, prompting us to call out Abba Father. Let me just break that down for you. That word Abba is just a term of endearment. It's like daddy. It's like dear daddy. It's like papi. It's like papa. It's just, it's, it's a term of endearment. And he says, because of what he's done, there's a prompting within us that cries out that says, dear father. Verse seven, now you are no longer a slave, but God's own child. And since you are his child, God has made you his heir. Listen, if you've ever felt alone, according to this message of the gospel, here's what God says he announced at the very beginning, at the right time. He declared, you're mine. He declared, you're my child. He declared, I've adopted you. I've called you as my own. Now, I want you to consider something about adoption in this day and age. God doesn't do it the way that we know it to be done in this world. You know, when you're going to adopt a child today, you literally get an entire folder, a breakdown of this child's medical history, a breakdown of their emotional stability, of what their experience has been, how old they are, what conditions they, they, they've, they've undergone. You get a whole breakdown so that then you can make a choice before you choose them. But God approaches this differently. See, the Bible says that God has adopted us as his very own children. And you're going to see in Scripture the power of this. I want to point out something to you, though, that the Scripture says when the right time came. Watch this. The right time? These untrustworthy people, God says, it's the right time. Wait, wait, wait. wait. What about all my habits and my hangups and my issues? The right time. Well, what about all the, what all the people have said about me in church? The right time. Well, what, what about what that preacher said? No, no, no. The right time. Well, but wait a minute. I haven't even been baptized or, or I don't even know what the Bible says or I don't get it and I struggle with this and I struggle with that. God says, it's the right time. It's the right time. It's the right time because I choose you. You don't choose me. It's the right time because I love you. It's not about how much you love me. It's about you discovering how much I love you. See, these men not only discovered that Jesus was the son of God, they discovered that they too were sons of God. They not only found Jesus, they found new meaning for their lives. The circumstances of life before Jesus kept them oppressed. The scripture says that when he adopted us as children, he bought our freedom 
from slavery. Now, I get it. Maybe you weren't in chains. Maybe you weren't whipped. But I will tell you this. The weight of a past, the weight of your worries, the weight of your issues, the weight of your circumstances, the weight of what people say, those things will keep you bound in life. And here's the key to being free. I've chosen you to be my own son and daughter. Listen, this relationship with God is not as complicated as we've been told it is. It is not complicated. It isn't. We complicate it. People complicate it. And so you see, the message that they received from God, according to what Galatians says, set them free. See, there's freedom in knowing that you're loved and wanted by God. I said there's freedom in knowing that you're loved and wanted by God. To know that you're accepted by God. Listen to Luke 2, 17 and 18. We're going to read that again. It says that when they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told to them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. Listen, the people were amazed at the message that these men brought. But you know what amazed them even more? That God would bring it to them. Listen, life takes on new meaning when you're a son and daughter of God. Life takes on new meaning when you understand that you are God the Father's child. Think about kids. I remember um, when Christmas time used to come around and the kids were younger. Um, you'd ask my son, what you want? What you get for Christmas? What you want for Christmas? And he would say, uh, uh, I'm getting a, back then was what? Uh, what, what? What was the system of the day back then? Uh, DS. I'm getting a DS. And I'm getting, uh, uh, I'm getting, what, 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 help me out here, babe. What were those things? Action figures, and I'm getting this, and I'm getting this remote control car, and I'm getting these sneakers, and I'm getting this. And, and I would stand there and I would go, you're getting all that? <laughs> now, how are you getting that? He goes, you're buying it for me. I'll tell you why I share that with you. When you understand you're a son and a daughter, you have confidence in your father. Right, sometimes too much confidence in, 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 but I'm not talking, you can never have enough confidence in God. But listen, life takes on new meaning when you're a son and daughter of God. Let me share a, 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 an analogy here just for you to consider, uh, just something that I, uh, I read a while ago and I want to share here. It says that during one of the deadliest days of World War I, during the bombing of the Blitzkrieg, a father holding his small son by the hand ran from a building that had been struck by a bomb. And the front yard was a shell hole and so he's seeking shelter as he sees that there are more bombs coming and there are buildings ablaze all around him and so as quickly as possible this father begins to run and he grabs his son's hand and he assumes that his son is following closely behind him and he dives into this shell hole for cover and he holds up his arms for his son to follow and terrified yet hearing his father's voice telling him to jump the boy replies i can't see you dad i don't know where you are i can't see you 
And the father looking up against the sky that was tinted red with burning buildings and bombs that were sure to hit all the surrounding areas calls to the silhouette of his son. And he says, but I can see you jump. The boy jumped not only because he trusted that his father was there, but because he believed that his father saw him. Tell you why I share that with you. This whole deal of a relationship with God may not make complete sense to you. There may be times when you can't see him. You don't feel him. It does not make sense. You may be struggling, but you need to understand this, that while you may not see him at times, God always sees you. He's with you. He's for you. And when he said God is with us, he meant it. He meant it. Maybe you need to hear this today directly from the Father. I see you. I see you. I know who you are. I'm with you. And so, recognize that God sees you and he's calling you. God sees you and he's calling you. He's not calling you to religious hula hoops, ladies and gentlemen. He's not calling you to theological exercises. He's not calling you to to be this person who's got it all together. You know how much flack I get for wearing jeans on a Sunday? I don't give a rip. I don't care. Who cares? Listen, if it depends upon what we wear, then what do we need Jesus for? Just dress better. It ain't about that. It's not about that. And so I want to give you some things to consider here about what it means to become a son and a daughter of God. What we see in this story of Christ in Christmas, and I just want to give you some points for encouragement. First thing I want to encourage you with is that not to lose heart for relationship with God. Don't lose the heart for relationship with God. Listen to what I'm saying here. Let's look to scripture in Matthew 19, verses 13 through 15. It says that one day some parents brought their children to Jesus. So he could lay his hands on them and pray for them. But the disciples scolded the parents for bothering him. But Jesus said, let the children come to me. Don't stop them. For the kingdom of heaven belongs to those who are like these children. And he placed his hands on their heads and blessed them before he left. Listen, relationship as we know it today can become so complicated if we could be honest with ourselves. Think about how relationships work today for the most part. They start off by a mutual interest. I like this about you. I like like that about you. I like that you add this to me and that I feel good about myself around you, right? And, And then all of a sudden, this love factor comes into play from a genuine place, right? But then it gets complicated. You know why? Because we build expectations into the midst of it. Husbands and wives, or if you've ever been in a relationship, but listen, even father and daughters, you know, mother, son, in all relationships, we do this at times. If you don't do this, I'm certainly not doing that. I know you love me and you say this, this and that, but you know what? You got to show me love. (laughs) Words are too easy to say, ooh, ah, you got to show me love. 
geez, I'm starting to feel old here, man. Some of you are looking at me like, what is he talking about? Who was that? CNC Music Factory, I think it was something. Well, anyway, let's get back to the text. We complicate it. We tell our children, if you don't do this, I won't do that. No, don't come over here and I'm mad at you. We place rules and regulations. We impose our own selfish desires in the midst of relationship. We develop rules for receiving and giving love. And I'll tell you why I share that with you as a thought here. Because the disciples are with Jesus and Jesus is amongst people. The Bible tells us that wherever Jesus went, he went about doing good and healing and delivering all those that were oppressed. And so Jesus is doing some good stuff. And while he's there, these parents get a glimpse of Jesus and they say, man, I'm going to bring my child. I want them to meet Jesus. Man, that he might even bless them, that he might even, even encourage them somehow, that they might get to know something about him, experience something with him. And so they bring their children in hopes of bringing them to Jesus. And the disciples go, scram, kid. You bug me. Beat it, toots. Roll out. Get out of here. And Jesus says to them, guys, what are you doing? He says, don't keep the children away from me. But watch what he says in the midst of that. Verse uh, 14. He says, let the children come to me. Don't stop them. Watch this. For the kingdom of heaven belongs to those who are like these children. These kids came with no conditions, no rules to relationship. It was just, I want to know you. It's that simple. You know what we do in churches today? We put people through exercises. We have things that we call membership classes. Last time I checked in scripture, I don't see any example of membership class outside of Jesus. We, we place titles that divide and like denominations and, and, and bishop this and pastor that and prophet such and such and apostle such and such. And I'm saying to myself, whatever happened to, it's no longer I that live, but Christ that lives in me and the life that I now live, I live by faith in the son of God. Whatever happened to, you know what, it's just me, it's just me and Jesus and he, I'd rather just do what he says and follow what he says and go where he's going. You know, when my kids were young, um, you know, every now and then, you know, kids, they think they're a little slick, right? Like they could get away with something. Like they're telling, they, they profess to be telling you all the details and they're not. And so my wife had a real good way of telling with the kids, right? She, she could always pick up on things and so she would say, Joshua and Karina, come here. And she'd ask him a question and they go, yes, mommy, we did that and we did this. She goes, I see a red dot on your forehead. And they would both go like this. And they would go, you're lying to me. Tell me the truth. You got a red dot on your forehead. Every time you lie, you got a red dot. On your... And they would fess up. They would just tell on themselves. See, back in my day, we wouldn't have fallen for that. What's my point with that? I'm just having some fun with that. But I want you to think about this. What I'm really talking about in terms of 
staying true to the heart of relationship with God is, listen, don't lose that innocence, that childlike faith that just simply says, I just want to know God. No rules, no regulations, no none of that. It's just me and God. And I can approach God about anything. I can talk to God about anything. I can have relationship with God about anything. No rules for receiving and giving love. No expectations that put burdens upon me. None of that. Jesus is basically saying, why are you complicating this? Just let them come. So I want to encourage you, as I said before, don't lose the heart for relationship with God. Don't miss sight of how this works. Second thing I want to encourage you with is a really simple thing to consider. That his love matters more than your love for him. Hear this. His love matters more than your love for him. Let me show you that from scripture. Let me show you. Now, keep in mind, God presents himself. He sends a message to shepherds. And what he says to them is, hey, I've got good news for you and for all mankind. Now, I want you to think about all mankind. How many of you know that there are some good people in this world? You know that, right? Right? How many of you know that there's some bad people in this world, right? We created those labels. Watch what God says. I've got good news for all men. I establish peace unto all men. Now that's a mind blower. Because there's some people that we, we ourselves go, yup, you're definitely going to hell. You deserve to be there. Can you imagine where you and I would be if that's how God announced the coming of Jesus about us? I know this, I'd be the first one frying. But I want you to consider this, that his love matters more than your love for him. John 15, verses 5 through 9, starting at verse 5, says this, I am the vine and you are the branches. Consider how this relationship works. He says, I'm the vine, you're the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is to my father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. Here's the kicker. As the father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love. So let's think about the verbs that Jesus uses here. The words that he uses to describe this relationship with him. The vine doesn't come from the branch. The branch comes from the vine. Right? Got that? Got that imagery? So think about this. The relationship between the branch and the vine works best. As a matter of fact, it only works when the branch stays connected and dependent upon the vine. Not the other way around. Not the other way around. And so just like the branch, the fruit of love that you produce for God is not based on what you do for God, but what you get from God. Listen closely to what I'm saying. 
Notice that Jesus does not, notice Jesus' words in verse 9. He says, remain in my love. He says, now remain in my love. In other words, now that you understand, now that you get that you're the branch and I'm the vine, and that this relationship is dependent upon your dependence upon me, watch what he defines the vine to be. My love. My love. He says, stay in the vine. Now remain in my love. Grow in this. See, you're growing your love for God as you're growing in understanding how much he loves you. It's not the other way around, ladies and gentlemen. You know what we try to do in Christian circles today? I'm going to love God more. You know what Jesus said? You can't add a cubit to your stature by worrying on what you do. You can't grow anymore in the kingdom by what you do. Jesus says, remain in my love. Notice what he doesn't say. He doesn't say, maintain my love. I'm just holding on to Jesus. I'm just trying to fight the good fight of faith. I'm just waiting for the day when Jesus comes because, man, I got to stay in this, man. I got to just love God as much as possible. And what we're doing is working to love God. And what you discover, if that's where you are, is that it doesn't work. It doesn't work. It produces nothing in your life. You know, I love my wife, but I'll tell you something. The only reason why this relationship has worked up until this point is because she's loved me in those cases where I was most unlovable. It wasn't because she changed me. It wasn't because... I tried to change myself for her. No, I just grew in a, in a relationship of pure and utter love. To know that I'm accepted. To know that I'm loved. To know that I belong. To know that while everything was wrong about me, she saw something right in me and accepted me in me. Listen, that kind of love will change you. That kind of love will draw you. That kind of love will lift you. That kind of love will encourage you when you feel at your lowest. And so Jesus doesn't say maintain my love, sustain my love, earn my love. He says remain in my love. God isn't asking you to love him more. He's asking you to believe and accept that he loves you more. You'll see more fruit from your life if you just remain in this place where you grow and understand how much God loves you. God loves you. And the last point that I want to give you here today is this. That everything that belongs to the Father is yours. My son is married. My kids are grown. I have a 24-year-old daughter. I have a 20 Three-year-old son. Thanks, son, for that help. I told you she's got my back. I told you she loves me. And the thing is, it was just his birthday yesterday. So I should, know, I should have known that at that moment. Make sure, Gianni, make sure we delete that from the podcast. Right? I don't want any evidence of that. But listen, 
24-year-old and 23-year-old. My daughter's with us. My son, he's married now. Everything in my house is theirs. Every ounce of strength in my life is theirs. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 through 5 says this. All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ. Can I just say something to you there? That's not talking about blessings that are stored up for you someday in heaven. Notice what it says, that God has blessed us with every spiritual blessing because we are united with Christ. In other words, you are blessed in every area of your life because you're united to Christ. And so those blessings flow all the way from heaven down to earth. Everywhere you go, the blessing of God goes with you and is for you. Verse 4 goes on to say, even before he made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. Now watch this. God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family. Hmm. By bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. Listen to this. This is what he wanted to do. And it gave him great pleasure. You know how I was telling you earlier that we live in a day and age that when you think about adoption, we get this whole portfolio of a background on this child. You get to sit down and interview this child and choose, gather some details before you make the choice on determining, am I going to accept this foreign child, this child that wasn't born from my womb, this child that is going through issues or may have some challenges. I want you to see how God chose you. 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 I want you to see this. It says, even before he made the world, in verse 4. It says, God loved us in Christ. And he chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. Hey, you want to talk about love? When God chose you and I before the foundation of the world, you know what's the very first thing he said? I see no fault in them. I didn't say that. God says that in his word. No fault. No guilt. No shame. No conditions. No deficiencies. No lack. He saw you and he said, it's the right time because I've made you right with me. Because I love you. But watch this. And so he chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. In his eyes. Get that view out of your eyes that something's wrong with you. Verse 5 says, And God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us into himself through Jesus Christ. Did you get that? He chose you in advance without worrying about the details. You might say I'm damaged goods. God says you are holy. 
You are righteous. You are my chosen child. Baby, you ain't, you have no idea the plan that I have for you. The places you'll go with me. The things that I'm doing even right now. God has already made up his mind about you. Your son. Your daughter. Let's stand here today as we close up. You know, the book of Luke, chapter 15, you ever get a chance, check it out. It's a parable. That's, that just means it's a story that's, whose purpose is to reveal something about God and about God's ways. And so in Luke 15, there's this parable of these two sons. You might know the story if you've ever heard it. It's a story that's referred to as the story of the prodigal son. But what you got to get is this, that word prodigal there, all it means is excessive, lavish, one who freely, freely, freely gives. It's not talking about wasting away. It's not talking about throwing away. It's talking about the word prodigal there means someone who, who gives excessively. And if you read that story, what you'll find is that while it's been termed by church people, The story of the prodigal son, it's really the story of the prodigal father who's excessive in his love, who's excessive in his forgiveness, who's excessive in his approach while a son discarded him and told him, just give me my inheritance. You might as well die, dad. I just want to do my own thing. I just want to live my life. I just want to do me. What you find in this story is that the father is looking for a son. And he sees past the mud, he sees past his shame, he sees past his guilt, he listens past the speech that he prepares, where he tells his father, listen, I'm not even worth being your son, just make me a slave in the house. And the father says, no, 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 you, you, you got this twisted. Get, get my best ring, put it on his finger. I want everybody to know that this is my son. Put brand new shoes on his feet, get my best robe and clothe them. But the Bible says that there's another son, this second son, the son who never left. And this son was always out in the field working for his father, always doing for his father. And when he hears that his brother's back and how excessive his father has been in his love and his forgiveness, he gets mad at his dad and he says, Dad, you never gave me a calf to sacrifice, to to prepare a meal with, to celebrate with my friends. He says, I've been here all these years working for you, doing what's right. I want you to consider the words of the father in response to him. In Luke chapter 15, verse 31, the father says to his son, the second son, he says, my son, you are always with me. And everything that I have is yours. You know where this second son was going wrong? He thought that relationship with his father was based upon what he did to be loved by his father, to be provided for by his father, to be blessed by his father. He thought that somehow he had to work to be right with his father. And the father says to him, son, He reminds him who he is and who he belongs to. He says to him, son, 
I'm always here with you. And everything I have is yours. Listen, today we're confronted with a simple, simple truth. But don't leave here and miss the heartbeat of God. Don't leave here and miss the message of Christmas. Of, a, of, a, of the Christ who was born, who came in the form of a man. God was establishing, you have no reason to fear. You have no reason to run away. You have no reason to turn aside, to be alone, because I'm with you and I'm for you. I go to the most unlikely places. The places where hurt is mostly, those places where you've been rejected and cast aside. I go there and I declare to you there. That I've made peace with you. That I love you. And that you don't have to feel like you can't come to me. Because I've already come.